Welcome to This Week in Common Sense for the last week of July 2022. My name is Timothy Verkula, and I'm going to help Paul Jacob run through the big stories of the week that have appeared on his website, Common Sense with Paul Jacob, which you can find at thisiscommonsense.org. His page on Facebook is also readily available. Uh, look for Common Sense with Paul Jacob. And this podcast is hosted on SoundCloud, available through a number of podcatchers, and is in video form every weekend on Rumble. But always check thisiscommonsense.org for the links. So, Paul, what's the story you want to talk about first? Well, we had some interesting stuff this week, I think. But I do kind of want to skip over it because uh, I want to spend a little more time uh, talking about our bookend scripts uh, about China and Taiwan, uh, which was in the news because of Pelosi's visit, non-visit, whatever, and and uh, Joe Biden basically coming out and saying the military doesn't think it's a good idea right now. And uh, but but we'll get to that. On Thursday, we had a constitutional sheriff, and it was about the fact that we have ATF agents uh, and and perhaps other law enforcement from time to time that decides they'll take on some mission like harassing gun owners. And there have been numerous reports of ATF agents coming and wanting to inspect people's guns. That's not a job that they've been given. That's not a right or an authority that they have. And uh, a good sheriff uh, in in uh, Washington. Uh, and what is this? Click click attack. Click attack. Click attack County. It's not Wakayakum, but it's no. click attack. The best thing about Washington State are the names for the counties. Well, Bob Songer is the county sheriff, and he basically was informing. People that he works for, you don't have to put up with that. You don't have to talk to them and 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 more. He'd like to know so that he could, ex, you know, kind of suggest that maybe they move on along. So uh, sounds like uh, Sheriff Taylor from Mayberry almost. And uh, then, then we had a, another script. I guess this was Tuesday, a lesson for the board. And the court's. Basically, sometimes, most of the time, if you have the wherewithal to take it to court, we'll decide that you really do have free speech rights. And that's nice. And it, it reminds us that we live in America and what America stands for, even if it doesn't always live up to every uh, part of it. But the court came down and said that Sean McBrady, who's uh, a guy in Maine who's been to school board meetings and has uh, the interesting thing about this case is he had read from books that were in the library. And his point was that maybe these books shouldn't be in the library. And that's open question. Go book by book. But the boards objected to having to listen to them. So, you know, it kind of gives him just a little bit of uh you know, maybe maybe this guy was on to something since you can't even sit there and listen to it. I listened to the board meeting in which one of them lectured him on how there's FCC rules about what you can say uh, in a public event that's broadcast. 
so that he would be, you know, endangering the companies that were carrying the signal. And so basically that was their excuse. But apparently, like you say, that wasn't a hint to them not to put that in the library. Now, you know, I'm dubious about, you know, anything. Me too. Uh, not allowed in a library but you know when i was in high school i uh was allowed into the secret bookshelf uh that was in a closet of books that the librarian <laughs> didn't think should be out in the open for the whole big news everybody this is this has never been reported before <laughs> that was a small town and they had james joyce and oscar wilde i especially liked oscar wilde i was a big fan of the critic as artist when i think his gilbert and, and uh, ernest uh, dialogues are hilarious and the critic artist is great but you know i guess it was because oscar wilde was homosexual uh that that was in a special right a special cordoned off little thing and i don't that's probably actually not a bad way of handling books that are a little bit hard for some people to take but uh the encyclopedias have enough that would should should you know make make a school marm blush so i don't know but we we always go back also, though, to the basic kind of fundamentals, the foundation is, is you know, for some people, they want education to be free inquiry. And others might want, we want learning on this. And we want, you know, is, is there a religious view taught? Is there an actively non-religious view taught? Um, and and allowing, you know, crazy people at the NEA and, and academia and teachers unions and politicians to decide it doesn't really make it perfect for everybody. And, and I submit it's never going to be perfect for everybody, which is why any sort of choice and the more choice, the better. Let people choose their own education. It's you know, parents like education. The some of the biggest revolts, what what we saw in Virginia, in in twenty one, uh, and again, you know, we think of a Republican governor being elected and this protest about what they're doing in the schools on critical race theory and on on uh, transgender stuff and the and and of course, I don't know if most people realize there was there were were cases of rape. At least that's what the charge was, and uh, and and that person was just kind of pushed along to the next school without any like, hey, heads up. And then it happened again at the next school. So there were all kinds of problems there. The county, Loudoun County, that revolted basically uh, is not a Republican county. It's not a conservative county. It's a blue county. It votes Democratic. It voted Democratic in that election. And but these Democratic parents like their kids, too. And just because the national Democrats are lunatics doesn't mean everybody in America who's a Democrat is a lunatic in the same way that just because Republicans in Congress are lunatics doesn't mean that every Republican throughout the country is a lunatic. It doesn't work that way. Now, there's a lot of work being done to try to drag us all into lunacy, but we don't have to go. Your other piece that you wanted to talk about, but briefly, uh, Democrats protest a dangerous path. That's also kind of on that theme of uh, cry lunacy. It is in a sense, but it, it's a flip in that, you know, we've had so much 
Facebook and YouTube and Google, and they all seem to be left. They've all been censoring people on the right much more. Um, it's like with the with the uh, uh, F or FBI, the IRS uh, not approving conservative groups years ago during the Obama administration, and people saying, "Well, they did it both ways." When it was like two hundred times one way and one time the other, and and uh, you know, so the, these are these are serious problems when when you have government that's partisan. And of course, we have long laid out how much the government is involved in social media and these other, you know, Google and others, and that there's all kinds of money changing hands and all kinds of relationships that are not, it's not just, you know, Sam's auto on the corner that has no involvement with the government. So uh, it's a problem. But here is Hulu which is a, uh, what do they call that, over-the-top media? It's basically you go out and you get Hulu. Uh, my daughter, a long time ago, uh, was was uh, doing Hulu. She, like, didn't connect to the cable, had these other different streaming services, and um, and a lot of people do it, more young people, but a lot of people, even old people can do it. They really want to bad enough. It's, it's comes out and says, we're not taking your abortion ads and your gun ads to the Democrats. To the Democrats, they said this. And the Democrats kind of are going crazy. You've seen the ads, Tim. And I, you know, my impression was the same that you communicated when you saw these are tame. These are, you know, these are not hard hitting. You know, they don't show anything graphic. They're not even really, they're not the ominous type of political ads that you hear a lot of times. And uh, so it, it, there's nothing about the ad itself. They've made a decision clearly that we think our viewers don't want to see political ads. And of course, there's a huge problem there. But what's interesting to me about it is Democrats are going crazy about it, even though they're urging the same thing to be done in social media. And that it's much more, and we don't fully go into this a whole lot in the piece, but we touch on it. It's much more uh, even-handed, non-ideological, with some set rationale that, hey, we don't think this is what our viewers want. And it's it's going against advertising. It's not the viewer. They're not telling the viewers what they can say or not say on the comment line. Or, you know, they don't have a comment line. But it's it's that sort of thing. They're, they're not policing the, the viewers. They're policing the advertisers. They're letting get to the viewers. And on Facebook, of course, they're policing everything, but especially the, the participants themselves. Uh, and Google and YouTube, uh, Google less so, but Google owns YouTube. YouTube and uh, and Google, Google's not abusing people. It's just figuring out what search engine, you know, what what uh, searches it wants you to find and giving those to you. It it uh, increasingly, and I'm I'm slow on change. You know, I I'm, I move slow. I'm kind of like an elephant in that way. And and uh, about change, and uh, and 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 so I still have Google, you know, constantly on Google, but uh, increasingly on DuckDuckGo. And and especially, it's more and more occurring to me, don't waste your time going to Google on this particular issue, because you'd like to get a few conservative viewpoints on it. 
And so you better go to DuckDuckGo where they'll get the, you'll get the range without someone going, well, don't think that. Anyway. Yeah, I've been using DuckDuckGo for some time, but recently one of its functions ceased to work. One that I use all the time, and I now had to go switch back to Google and looking now also at, there's a, a new search engine out there that I haven't uh, fully vetted yet. So we'll, we'll see if I find anything interesting. Oh, I'd like to know, yeah. But, but the old way that uh, used to work to drill down within a website using the, the general search engine stopped working. And they must have new commands that I haven't learned yet. I just, huh. You know, I don't need, I don't, they, they improve things so that they don't work anymore. That's, that seems to be one of the <laughs> common things. Is, these. is anyone, when it comes to technology, is anyone happy when they say they have an update? It's like, please, no, please don't do that to me. It's funny. And, and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm only so much of a Luddite, but, there you are. but a little bit of one. Hey, uh, I did want to talk about Taiwan, though, in, in we had two and, and China and the, the idea that there's going to be an attack and invasion and and what should the U.S. do and and uh, what should we all do? Because I think, you know, I, I, I certainly am on the side of not backing down to China in any way that we as individuals can do it. And I think anytime you see a bully you know, the one thing that doesn't work is to kind of back down and let the bill bully get what they want. Um, and it was interesting this week, I was at the global Taiwan Institute because Ian Easton, who is with project 2049 about, you know, the Asia and how to reset policy there in a positive way. Uh, and who's written two books that we've talked about some in in different previous scripts, uh, the final struggle uh, about, China's global policy and and its tentacles all over the United States and the world and a very very readable book good book uh and about a subject that I think is is absolutely critical to people getting and doing something about and he I read a previous book his previous book uh the Chinese invasion threat about and he looked at Chinese documents, U.S. documents, Taiwanese documents, some that had been, you know, that were secret and somebody got out, others that were just public. And um, and basically was really the first person that I uh, well, well, if you go to YouTube and you look at some of these different videos, if you read articles in the paper, uh, in different online publications, if you will hear again and again Chinese military might. They've had arguably, and I tend to be on the side of yes, being the answer to the argument, yes, they have the biggest military buildup in the the history of the world in the last hundred years and whatever whatever you want to put there. It's a huge military buildup. But the view is, here's this huge country with a huge military and hypersonic missiles and and updating and advancing their nuclear and in space and so on. And and uh, and they are this huge country. I think the population is like 50 something times or maybe it's a couple hundred times. You know, it's one point four billion. Taiwan's 24 million. And of course, it's uh, they assert that it's their their you know part of their property, and most 
people in the United States, when they think of it at all, they think of this is Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalist who went to Taiwan. And they don't realize that when they went to Taiwan, it's not funny at all, they murdered tens of thousands of people. And I don't mean in some battle, they went and found them and killed them. They basically tried to destroy Taiwanese intelligentsia and and kind of the upper class that anybody who might have some knowledge and some ability to fight their takeover. Taiwan went through 40 years of martial law with disappearances and people taken and tortured or killed or whatever. Um and somehow got out of that. And they didn't get out of it because the United States said, well, we're just so upset about this and our conscience just feels so terrible. How could we help free you and create a democracy instead of this totalitarian nightmare that we've kind of hung out with Chiang Kai-shek and allowed to happen for all these decades? No, they did it on their own. People protested, people got together, people organized and continued to fight. And Chiang Kai-shek's son allowed a little opening and there was then more opening. And they are arguably the freest, most democratic country in Asia today. It is a miracle. And it's not just an economic miracle. It's that too. They make 90% of the high-end uh, computer chips in the world. And uh, at least that's according to Fortune magazine. And and uh, and we've talked about, you know, the New York Times had a piece a year or two ago, the most, you know, the, the most important piece of real estate, but it's, it's important from a geographic uh, military type standpoint. It's important from an economic standpoint, even more. China would love to have all that chip manufacturing and be able to deny it to the to the U.S. and others. And uh, and of course, one of the interesting things, just to run a little tangent point here, that Ian Easton talked about uh, at this talk this week was if you listen to, and of course, he speaks Mandarin, so he he hears what they're saying in their own language, and talks about how. Uh, Xi Jinping and and the and the CCP. It's not just Xi Jinping, and he made that point specifically. There is a tremendous animosity toward the United States, and um, and so it's you know this this is a this is a big power that does not like the United States, and that has that is genocidal, and there's all these different things. So often in the West, I think we we think, well, they, you know, we can be friends and so on. They don't want to be our friends. They don't want to be our friends. I mean, it's sad. We can all cry about it, but we have to recognize it. And that if you listen to, he talked about how if you listen to their speeches, it's like, wow. And then if you read the articles written in the West, a lot of it translated the Chinese are translating in in English in ways that don't sound nearly as sharp, and the U and the American press is is which is probably getting ads from China Daily. If it's the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, they all got millions from a Chinese government newspaper, which is the Chinese government. Anyway, it it 
it is a the level of threat is i think almost completely missed by the the society in terms of academia in terms of the media and people have this tendency to see china as all powerful what are you going to do against taiwan and in reading this book it's clear that it's not that way that it's a very difficult island to take and we've talked about that in, in some previous uh, podcasts, so I won't go into all the different things, but the, the information is out there. But almost everything you see and read talks about China as if it's just a foregone conclusion. If they ever want to take Taiwan, they'll take it. Well, if that were true, it would be taken because they've always wanted to take it. It's a very valuable piece of, of real estate. And they've wanted to take, you know, Tibet is not nearly as valuable or Xinjiang uh, province is, is not nearly as valuable, although there's different resources. I'm sure they want it all. But um, we talked about on Monday, Biden time with bully, that you cannot allow this bully to continue to bully everyone, especially the United States of America. And the idea that somehow the military would say, you can't go visit your friends in Taiwan because China doesn't want you to. That We need to kind of come to grips with that. And on Friday, uh, I, I with the title, Does China Want War?, I looked at this uh, piece. I'm going to forget the guy's name and uh, who who did the uh, Johnny. What's his name? Johnny. I'm forgetting his last name. Johnny Harris, who did this video. Here's what happens if China invades Taiwan. And what upset me about this video so much is that one one had seven million views. That really it's like because I'm watching it thinking. Oh my goodness! This is uh, this uh, this is a very interesting subject. It's got lots of views. This must guy must have a lot of good things to say. His basic take, which is kind of so so much what you would expect from woke idiots, it's about you know he's hoping that there's a creative way. Surely, surely we won't have to resort to violence. Oh come on! And also makes the point that. Hey, uh, the American people aren't going to want to tangle here. And of course, you could certainly understand that we're, we've been promised to tangle with every despot, every country, good or bad, throughout the globe almost, with all the different countries we've agreed to defend. But the truth is, the polling in, in the United States of America, and this, this is, was put up on YouTube in February, uh, the polling last year, the, there's been there have been numerous polls that show a majority of Americans do want to defend Taiwan against China. And, the you know, I, I want everyone to be free to join the military or not. I, I, I'm not looking to force people to do anything against their will. But I am of the mind that we better stop China there. And I think the level of disaster, if we don't, is completely ignored in the media and and even when it's hyping Taiwan and China it makes it out that this is kind of a hopeless situation when it's not hopeless and uh and and I think it makes a huge amount of difference if people know what's what's the cost well the cost might be I mean the this the uh uh commerce secretary uh I forget her name I think it's Gina Romano but she 
came from uh, uh, Rhode Island. She did some pension reform and other stuff. So I'd heard of her before she kind of took a national role as the Commerce Secretary. She came out and said this would be a deep and serious recession if somehow China took Taiwan. One can always argue, well, look, we'll just get over it. We won't fight. We won't do, you know, we, we, let's not let's not fool around with it. But this idea that somehow what we're deciding is, well, just a reasonable, thoughtful, because I'm sure we can really find creative ways with the Chinese or or uh, this week after I'd written these, Biden had his his talk on the phone with Xi Jinping. And of course, they did. We're able to discuss terrorism and they were able to discuss climate change. And to me, it's like someone being on television reporting that they were able to discuss climate change change with Hitler. They were able to discuss, you know, how to fight terrorism with Adolf Hitler. I don't want to discuss with Adolf Hitler, and I don't, and I think Xi Jinping is about the same guy. It's like discussing what to do about the Jews with Hitler. He's engaged in state terror. That's what Xi Jinping and the and the CCP is engaged in, and they're fighting re- rebels in China of various sorts. And their terrorists are probably more our allies than Xi Jinping. Well, certainly, certainly. Well, and the other interesting thing, because I often call them Chinazis. We've discussed that before on podcasts. Uh, I think it's an apt term. It's a term that comes out of Hong Kong. That's what was was all over Hong Kong. They view China as Chinazi. And there is a sort of Han Chinese chauvinism or i don't know if that's really the right word but a a uh, uh an aggressive we want our people who are separate from you people to be in charge of a lot of things i mean they they have han chinese going to live with the uyghurs and literally embedded in uyghur households now if if people were kind of sending people to live in your house in the United States because they thought it would just kind of help get you going the right way, I think you'd kind of object. <laughs> so it's this is the sort of thing that's happening, and yet it's all normalized. It's it's you know we, it, there, nobody thinks well maybe we shouldn't be dealing so much with China if this is the way they behave. It there is the same sort of Nazi-like attitude in in ways that no other regime. The other interesting thing about uh, Ian Easton in this talk and his books uh, is that he points out how different China is than Nazi Germany, Imperial Japan, Soviet Union. The level of wealth is a lot greater. I always point out to people, if if Germany was 1.4 billion people in 1936, we might see a lot different world right now. It was 70 million. Hard for them to take all of Europe and, and the Soviet Union all the way to the Urals, which is what their intent was, supposedly. And uh, with that kind of you know, population, whereas there's no problem with China doing it population-wise. He also pointed out it wasn't like uh, it was like the Soviet Union during the Cold War was buying off all kinds of professors and other folks. And not that they didn't try from time to time. They weren't very effective at it. And of course, you know, it wasn't like 
Hitler's Germany was able to infiltrate in all kinds of ways. We've got all of our kids on TikTok getting all their, you know, whatever strokes they're hitting on their phone or, or going to Beijing. And and we have all kinds of, of corruption and payoffs and bribes from people working for the New York City Police Department to, you know, the chauffeurs of different uh, public officials to the girlfriends of different public officials to huge money going to those public officials and academic people and science. And we've got our, our you know, our supply lines over there. This is, uh, you know, you, you, you either kind of think, look, genocide is a big deal or it's not a big deal. But in a, in a society in which the government has looked into it, other people have looked into it. They've concluded that a, a genocide is going on. It's not it, It's not even an isolated, oh, there's this ethnic problem. This isn't their first genocide. We have to stand up and, and fight that, I think. And I'm, I'm not, I'm saying is me, I want to stand up and fight it. And I'm looking for ways that other people can help because it seems like a real big job. I can't, I can't take them by myself. Um, and, and here we have a country that can do it, that's capable. And I think the world is starting to wake up, but the United States, so often we look helpless, like Joe Biden saying, well, the military said it wasn't such a good idea that Nancy Pelosi traveled to Taiwan. I would advise one thing first, before anything else we talk about, and that is just let's not lie about China anymore. Let's not tell ourselves stories about China that make them look good. And that would, yes. be, my, that would be the beginning, I think. Be, I, I can get a, entirely on board with that. In his book, Ian Easton's book on the final struggle, he talked about how we need a movie industry that isn't censored by China. Can you imagine what it would be like if, like, the run-up to World War II, you know, Nazi Germany controlled our movie industry the level of of infiltration and some people say well infiltration it sounds like they're bad people they're bad people joe biden's comment they're not bad folks folks or whatever he said exactly that may not have been exact, but it was that he's wrong they are and 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 I don't and by they let's be very specific because of this BS about oh is that anti-Chinese? The Chinese people are wonderful people. And I have said on this podcast, I'm sure in a free marketplace they will still kick our butt. <laughs> but but they won't be genocidal maniacs because that's not who they are. That's who the CCP is. And and but the level of 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 tentacles all over our society and what's what they have in in universities in australia and throughout europe and they're not afraid to bribe people they would like a world in which they can bribe everybody and control what anybody says because that's how totalitarianism thrives that's what they need as strong as they are in all kinds of ways they're so weak that if they allow free speech they're gone. We have to recognize this threat, but there's one other part of it, and it doesn't just involve uh, China, because they talk about it sometimes with Ukraine and so on, that Putin 
threatens, and sometimes it's my buddies who are concerned about our involvement there and say, are we going to allow nuclear war over Ukraine? Are we going to allow a nuclear, are we going to get in a nuclear war or just a big shooting war over Taiwan? And I have begun to say, are we going to get in a big shooting war over my mother, your mother, your wife, your daughter, your sister, your brother? Or are we just going to, if the CCP says we want him, we're just going to hand him over or her and say, well, we don't want nuclear war. So obviously none of us want nuclear war. That's one reason, thank goodness, we haven't had one. But you cannot allow bullies and genocidal maniacs to get their way because otherwise they'll threaten nuclear war or threaten anything. One of the lessons in life, it seems to me, is do not let your world be decided because of some threat somebody makes. And so let's be clear-eyed. Let's just let people decide what they're willing to do or not do. But this idea that we have to let lunatic, vicious totalitarians rule the world because we're too scared, we have to stop being scared. And we have to we have to stand up. Well, I like that ending. Uh, and we could end the podcast right there. Cool. Maybe we should. Okay. Hey, we're the United States of America, after all. Okay, well, this podcast is This Week in Common Sense. <laughs> That's what we are. Uh, this Week in Common Sense at thisiscommonsense.org. <laughs>